Hello, welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the Show. It's because it's all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we are coming to you today from a new location. Yes, we might sound a little different this week. And going forward. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We've moved from our old uh, home in Coventry. We're now in Salford, aren't we? Yes. In a much bigger place, and it sounds... Like a much bigger place. We're in quite an empty room because we're still unpacking, aren't we? Yeah. But I think even when the room's packed, it's going to be a bit like this because it's just massive. It is. It's much bigger. But we'll, much we'll, bigger. Have a, we'll have a bit of an office space soon once uh, we're all underway. So yes. hope you don't mind the echo in the meantime. Uh, and today we have a bit of a warm-up. Uh, yeah, so you might be thinking a little early. Yeah. But a little warm-up for uh, October. Yes. Uh, so today we are discussing Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I know you're probably thinking, hang on a minute, you guys have said you're going to do the whole franchise. Well, this technically shouldn't even be in the franchise. <laughs> and we, we are going to yeah. do the whole franchise next year, but we won't be covering this. We want to do a whole separate episode for this. I think it deserves it. Um, basically, the Halloween franchise is Michael Myers. It, you know, that's what everyone associates with Halloween. Um, so next year, essentially, when we go through the whole franchise, we'll be doing Michael Myers through the years rather than Halloween through the years. Um, what Halloween 3 does is it completely takes Michael Myers out of, the, uh, out of the picture and goes down its own path. Yeah, so what John Carpenter wanted to create like an anthology series. Yeah. Um, which is weird, considering the first two films were based around Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. Mm. Surely you would have just started with the second one, but whatever. And so this is Halloween by name only, really. Yeah. Also, Season of the Witch doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know why this is called Season, Season of, the, of Witch. the Witch. There's no witch in this film. <laughs> there was already a film called Season of the Witch, wasn't there? The, the George Romero. Well, apparently, um, Martin Scorsese was going to call Mean Street Season of the Witch originally. I don't know why. Oh. Maybe uh, that has another meaning that we don't know about. Uh, maybe. Uh, well, this was released in 1982. And directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who actually was uh, an uncredited actor in the original Halloween. Uh, he played Michael Myers here and there, a few scenes. Did he do stunts? May have done stunts. He's just listed as uncredited Michael Myers. Yeah, he had some sort of... He's also directed Fright Night Part 2, Aloha Summer, and Vampires Last Murtas, uh, as in Vampires sequel starring John Bon Jovi. <laughs> oh, okay. Ah. And he also wrote Amadeville 2, The Possession, and the It miniseries. Okay. What, the 1990? The 1991, yeah. It's miniseries. Uh, this was made on a budget of $2.5 million and only grossed uh, 14.4 at the box office. So, I mean, that's 
fairly successful, but critically, it was an absolute disaster. People could not get over the fact that it didn't feature Michael Myers. And still to this day, still to this day, to this pe- day. people misunderstand this film. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there is a case for if this film was released, not called Season of the Witch, but if it had another name, um, like Deadly Shamrocks or whatever, I don't know. But if it was released not with the Halloween name, with no affiliation to the Halloween franchise, it could have done a lot better. Yeah. As a standalone film. But you call it Halloween 3, you don't feature what made the first two Halloween films good. You know, you are going to rile people up and people are going to be really confused. Well, with that being said, it does also have a big cult following. Um, it does now. And there is, even though there's still people that don't particularly like it, there's, there's that resurgence um, of, of people that do like it. And, uh, yeah, it's it's got a lot more... People show it a lot more love now than they did back then. Let's put it that way. Do it's still on a 4.9 on IMDb, though. Do you, yeah, I remember my first knowledge of this film was from the IMDb uh, bottom 100 list. Mm. And I was so I was quite surprised that a Halloween film would be on there because uh, I'd seen the original Halloween by that time. And so I looked into it and I was like, oh, I was like, what, the, what the hell is this? And I didn't watch it for many, many years because I was never really bothered to watch it. Um, didn't really interest me. Um, it's not, I mean, it has a cult following. I don't know if it's in an ironic way because it's not a masterpiece by any standard. Really? Are you keeping quiet because you disagree? Uh, with no, um, no, I, I wouldn't say it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's not, it's not up there with Texas Chainsaw, the original Halloween, Suspiria, Rosemary's Baby. It, it's never going to be in that no. same category. Um, the more I've seen it, the more I've enjoyed it. But yeah. I don't know if that's because I'm looking at it as a camp film rather than a good horror film. Yeah, no, I was the same because when I first watched it, I hated it. I, I, I generally thought it was one of the worst things I'd ever seen. I, I just didn't get it. I, I just didn't. Didn't get it at all. Uh, you know, I was watching it expecting Halloween 3. Uh, it was just a mess. I, I thought it was just one big mess. But then, the more I've watched it, the more I've appreciated it as a, just a fun horror film. Uh, it's, that's all it is. It is just a fun camp, essentially, B-movie. Yeah. That, you know, incorporates all these really weird elements of robots fucking Stonehenge and it, it, it's yeah it, I, I don't know what they were thinking um, when they were writing John Carpenter write yeah it? yeah well we'll get into the trivia yeah excuse um, me a novelization novelization uh, was published in 1982 and became a bestseller despite the film's critical failure oh so the book was more popular than the film it's very Stephen King. I I would give it that. I could 
I could imagine Stephen King writing something similar to yes. this. I could. And, and, and it, do you know what? In Stephen King's hands, it would have really worked. As a, well, yeah. I mean, it was a best-selling novel. But could you imagine if Stephen King wrote yeah. this oh, plot, yeah. you know, into a novel? Yeah. Been up there with his best. Uh, after Michael Myers died in Halloween 2, like, like you said... Uh, John Carpenter wanted to make an anthology with a new film set on Halloween every year. Um, but then, because this bombed critically, Michael Myers was brought back and we got Halloween 4 and 5. <laughs> and the rest of the franchise. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a very weird franchise because, you know, you've got Nightmare on Elm Street. And, and this is always, I've always put this amongst the top, the, the big three. You've got Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th and Halloween. Nightmare on Elm Street is the greatest horror franchise of all time, and I won't hear any different. Um, Friday the 13th isn't as good, but it's still... You can find fun moments in every film in that franchise because of how ridiculous they get. You know, yeah. Even if it's a bad film, it's still fun to watch. Halloween is a very, very mixed bag. Yeah, I find that with these franchises when they start to overdo it uh, in terms of backstory mm. um, the Friday the 13th franchise is very cut and paste yeah. uh, many of the films feel very similar just yeah. with different characters mm -hmm. and it's always a fun time Yeah, you know they know what they're doing they keep the, the, the kills, which is what a lot of people watch yeah. these films for. Um, they keep them fresh and interesting. And, you know, part seven, um, they maybe overdo it a little with the whole sidekick thing. And the MPA cut that to part, shit. Um, part seven's where they overdo it. Not when he goes to space. <laughs> yeah, well, that's after <laughs> that. Um, and then Nightmare on Elm Street, you get to part... Six. Six. Really, that's where it really falls off the Yeah, but the then it picks it back up again within one film. Yeah, but yeah. I mean in terms of, so part six, they're going, oh, we had a daughter, or oh, we're going to show him, mm. you know, in the past, we're going to do this, and they, they overdo it. Halloween kind of, the franchise itself, kind of the moment we find out that Laurie Strode and Michael Myers are brother and sister what comes from that with the whole niece thing in part four part five and then the whole cult thing in part six they just overdo it yeah you know we're not looking for great twists and you know backstory and psychology we just kind of want to watch the same film over and over. Yeah. But and they bring us some, <clears throat> something slightly different each time. It's as soon as it gets to the 80s and then it wants to be Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, and they start doing the elaborate kills and everything, which is fine. That works. It's just everything else surrounding it that feels incredibly forced. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, it hasn't found its best sequel until two years ago. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, that did what Halloween 2 should have done. H2O. Decent. H2O is H2O decent. Yeah, H2O is the third best Halloween film. And cr as crazy as it is, this is, Halloween 3 is the fourth best Halloween film. 
I mean, it is. It, it genuinely is. It just... And, and I know we're talking about the franchise a little too much, considering this film is for all to do with the Michael Myers franchise. Um, but I think also what made Halloween so great was its simplicity. Yeah. It's a very simple story. It didn't need anything else. It was this very simple story expertly told. You know, not anyone could make that film. Mm. Um, there's so many elements to it that make it a horror classic. But the plot itself, very simple. Yeah. Don't mess with that. Yeah. Leave it as it is. Yes. We're back to this film that has fuck all to do with Halloween. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> um, London Bridge is Falling Down was chosen for the theme song because it was in the public domain. Now, obviously, you've heard our intro. Oh, my God. Uh, that song is uh, a fun story. Horror culture other pretty much has its fan base because of that song. When I started the page as low budget horror movies back in the day, I uploaded that video because I was obsessed with the song. I couldn't believe how ridiculous it was. I uploaded it and it's still getting likes to this day. I think we're over 6,000 or something on it now. Oh God. It's, I, I kind of made it go viral on Facebook. Like it's still getting comments, people tagging each other in it. Um, it's just a ridiculous theme song. <laughs> and you hear it 14 times in the film. It's fucking annoying. That's what it is. <laughs> it's annoying, It's not yeah. ridiculous. It's just really fucking annoying. <laughs> if it used it a handful of times, maybe we would just be like, oh, that's London Bridge is falling down. You know, but now it's just... Fucking hell. Like, every time it comes on, you're like, oh my God. Um, the scene where Tom Atkins, Tom Atkins, uh, as you know, if you listen to our uh, The Fog episode last year, uh, Tom Atkins is one of my favourite actors. He's in this, uh, doing his best job. And, um, doing his best job. Yeah. <laughs> there's a scene where he throws a Halloween mask onto a security camera and he actually did it. He, it took him over 40 takes, but he actually did it. See... Th- Tom Atkins, I feel, should get the Chuck Norris treatment. Yeah. Um, obviously, this whole meme that's been going on for decades now with, uh, you know, Chuck Norris being the biggest, bravest action hero of all time. I think Tom, I think Tom Atkins needs a bit of that treatment. <laughs> he should. He's, a, he's the ultimate ladies' man as he well. He is the ultimate ladies' man. All, all the women come to him. He, he doesn't even go to them. Wow, well, I mean... He does, but only after they flirted him first. They're all after him. Has there ever been a film he's been in where he hasn't pulled? Probably Escape from New York. Who was he in Escape from New York? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. He's definitely in it. He's in Escape I think from he New was York. one of the cops. Yeah. I don't think he was in it much, to be fair. Uh, and that shitty Jamie Kennedy film we watched, The Fright Fest. Oh, Skull. God. Oh, my lord. No, not yeah. Skull. Um, but he was like Skull. Uh, what was it? Trick. Trick, yeah, that's a piece of shit film. Um, oh, Night of the Creeps. I don't think he oh, pulled in that. He could have, though. He could have, though, <laughs> yeah. The, ma- the masks from this film were actually sold in stores to promote the film at the time when it was released. Okay. Uh, the bedroom scene, speaking of Tom Atkins being a lady, this man, the bedroom scene was one of the first things to be shot, and uh, Tom Atkins and Stacey Malkin... I found it very humorous because she'd literally only just been hired for the film when they did it. Oh, God. <laughs> and there's a fairly big age gap. 
Yeah, I'm glad they found it humorous because it's so awkward to watch. It was, it's <laughs> weird. It's a bit weird. Um, Tom Atkins and uh, Garn Stevens, who plays Marge Goodman in the film, they were married at the time. Okay. And she's a very minor character, but yeah. So, so he was, and we'll get on to it maybe a little more in the podcast, but he was shagging one bird in one room in the motel and his real life wife was next door <laughs> getting her head blown off <laughs> uh, Nancy Keys uh, also known as Nancy uh, Loomis was pregnant with director Tommy Lee Wallace's child during filmmaking uh, making this film so yeah it's all it's all going on that set. so they still kept the old John Carpenter gang yeah really because she she was in the first two Halloweens uh, uh, in the second, she was just a corpse. Well, but... John Carpenter scored this film. He, he composed it. Mm. Um, and I think it's a great score. You don't agree. <laughs> I struggled with it. I, I just felt like they were trying so hard to sound like the Halloween theme, but not actually use the Halloween theme. I thought if they'd just used the Halloween theme, it would have been a good connection between mm. the films. I thought it sounded like Terminator, which is weird, because Terminator came out, like, Two years later. I, I mean, if there's one thing about John Carpenter, he does a good soundtrack. And I'm not saying this one was shined uh, by any means, um, but something quite consistent is his soundtrack. It's atmospheric, and, and I think you need that, because as, as camp and stupid and fun as it is, it's also a really dark film in places. Like, the whole concept and the plan of what the, yeah. the bad guys put together is really, really dark. Uh, and one scene in particular, which we'll get onto, really emphasises that. Mm. Um, you'll find this interesting. Originally, this was going to be directed by Joe Dante. I can see that. I can this is absolutely see a Joe it. Dante film. I can definitely. Throw see Dick it. Miller in there, maybe as the gas station guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I could definitely see that. I think it would have been a different film. Maybe the darker elements of it wouldn't have been so apparent. I don't know. All the Joe Dante films I've seen have always just had that element of comedy. They, they've always been yeah horror, but light-hearted. Mm. I haven't seen all his films, but, you know, admittedly, so I, I don't know. But all the ones I've seen so far... The Howling? Hmm. Yeah. That, that was a little... Yeah, I suppose. It is just a werewolf film, though, isn't it? Mm. It's still there's still elements of uh, He he helped set it all camp. up this film. Yeah. Like he, he he really he wanted it and everything but then it was eventually passed on to Tommy Lee Wallace. Um the original writer was Nigel Neal and uh, he sued the producers to take his name off the film because the finished product was too violent. Oh. Um, what they were going for. It but is then, surprisingly violent, yeah, actually. Yeah, really and, and that's one thing that gets right. It's uh, The practical effects in this are incredible. Mm. And this is what baffles me. This has a 4.9 on IMDb. This is a very well-made film. Like Everything about it is really well-made. The, the special effects, are, there was so much effort put into those. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, un, it's very underrated when it comes to how well-made it is. Uh, but it was rewritten by John Carter and the director, Tom Lee Wallace. Uh, they, they wrote some elements in uh, that they couldn't use because of the old lawsuit and everything with uh, 
with Nigel Neal. Yeah, I I think people, like I said previously, I think they were just, it wasn't the film that they were wanting or expecting. No. And it does, it does feel weird that the first two are based around the same story and then the third one is completely different. Maybe people thought that the giving it the title of Halloween 3 was a cheap cash mm. grab. Yeah. Rather than John Carpenter wanting to create an anthology series, he just thought, oh, my, the next film I wrote, just call it Halloween 3 and that'll get people to watch it. Yeah. You know? I think if it wasn't in the 80s, I think if Halloween 2 was done straight after Halloween in the 70s, and if it's still on Mark Myers, could have looked at it as a two-parter of the same night. Yeah. I don't think it would have bombed as bad because I think by this point in the 80s, everyone was wanting masked slashers. Yeah. So obviously they associated oh, yeah. Michael Myers with this and then that's how it got to how it did. Um, executive producer Erwin Yablans, Yablans, every episode is always someone whose name I can't fucking pronounce. Uh, he was against not using Michael Myers, so he had really minor involvement, but in his words, he didn't care because he's still got a fat paycheck at the end of it. There we go. <laughs> and that's what it's all really about. Um, is, this is included in Roger Ebert, previous discussion on the podcast, Robert Ebert, Roger Ebert, uh, included on his most hated films list. Does he have an issue with John Carpenter? He fucking hates everything, doesn't he? There's, I saw a video on Facebook earlier where he's slagging off Dawn of the Dead. Really? Yeah. Well, his most famous one was uh, The Thing, wasn't it? He hated yeah. The Thing. But actually, a lot of people hated The Thing. Yeah, yeah that bombed. Was, that bombed. Uh, that was released. nominated for Razzies. I think the soundtrack was nominated mm. for a Razzie, which is ridiculous in itself. Yeah. It's one of the best things about The Thing. And the original ending of Halloween 3... Had millions of children screaming throughout the credits. <laughs> it's my worst night. Oh God! <laughs> so that, that's the scariest film I can think so of. That, that was cut in order to keep the ending uh, open. Do anything worse would be millions of kids singing <laughs> over the credits. Um, so before we get into it, some uh, some comments from social media, some fan mail, as you hate me to, as you hate being called. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just sounds. The fan mail sounds like we're the Backstreet Boys, and the, we're getting letters through the post. Well, yes. So just just to make everyone aware, there's some uh, social media, not actually through the post. We haven't got it through a pigeon. Um, <laughs> so uh, the horror bandwagon podcast uh, is another podcast with a gay couple, just like us. Uh, one of them commented said his boyfriend's a fan um, of this film without even watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably best to stay that way, just, 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 just uh, well, don't watch it. Not for long, because they're watching it this year for the first time for Halloween, and uh, they said they can't wait for this episode. Well, I hope it uh, nice. lives Thank up. You. And uh, Jack Taylor on Instagram, uh, he is. Uh, the clown in Passage del Terror. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Passage del Terror. Shit, I normally... Normally I don't think about how to pronounce that because it's just me and you talking, but I, Passage del Terror, I think it's called. I don't the know. The horror walkthrough in Blackpool. Just spell it as I'm saying it and uh, it'll, it'll come up. Um, he had just got the jingle out of his head and then he saw our post. 
Which we're, is... we're very sorry for that. <laughs> so now, it's probably still going in his head now. How many days till Halloween now? <laughs> um... <laughs> Shit, I should have looked at that before oh. uh, recording. But anyway, um, yeah, we're, we're sorry that you'll be hearing it now probably for the next week or so. Uh, the Leather Skull on Instagram loves this movie, as does Ernest Mordo on uh, on Facebook. But uh, a bunch of people on Facebook really didn't like this film. <laughs> it was weird, because Facebook people hated it. Uh, Instagram people loved it. Twitter people loved it. Uh, it it's, it's just a, a great example of the divide Yeah, with this film. Well, that's probably why it's so popular on Facebook, because people are tagging their friends to annoy them. It is true, it's true. Um, but yeah, keep on coming. If you want to talk to us on social media, we're Horrorcore Trash over on Facebook and Instagram and Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. Tell us how much you love that jingle. Anyway, so back to the episode. Plot for Halloween 3. Kids all over America want silver shamrock masks for Halloween. Dr. Daniel Chalice uh, seeks to uncover a plot by silver shamrock uh, owner Colonel Cockring. <laughs> That's not his name. <laughs> that was Colonel Cochrane, but it sounded, every time someone said it in the film, it sounded like they were saying Cochrane. Oh, I thought you actually thought it was called Cochrane. No. Oh, okay. No, but didn't it sound like it? It did. Yeah, it did. So we start with a uh, digital pumpkin title screen, which I thought was really clever, because obviously Halloween 1 and 2, you got your pumpkin uh, zooming in throughout the opening titles. Mm-hmm. This is like a digital version which makes sense because we're all digital and got robots and shit now and everyone looks like yes. they're in a new wave band. So, it, it makes sense. We get a great score as the well. The font was ugly though, weren't it? The font was a bit ugly, I will say that. And it's Saturday, October 23rd and we get a rough John Saxon lookalike running from a car. <laughs> it does look... This would have been Dick Miller. Yeah, that, this actually, yeah, that would have been Dick Miller. Joe Dante. Uh, a member of Sparks, popular 80s band Sparks, <laughs> strangles him. I've got this whole thing written down as a member of Sparks because all of the robots in this film look like they're from Sparks. I just called them uh, sharp-dressed men. <laughs> what sharp-dressed men? Um, he pull, um, Rough John pulls a chain from the car. Rough John? <laughs> Rough John Saxon. And uh, it runs the Sparks guy over. Yeah, he gets squished between two cars. And an hour later, a gas station guy is watching the news and there's a news report on a stone from Stonehenge being stolen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Believe it or not, this does make its way into the plot later on. (laughs) And then what do we get? We get the first of many Silver Shamrock commercials with the jingle from the start of the episode. And this time, they're telling you it's eight more days till Halloween. We've got eight more days of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Rough John arrives at the gas station, and he's uh, gripping a silver shamrock pumpkin mask, and he's telling the gas station guy that they're coming. Excuse me, a bit too much information there. And then we're introduced to... <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> and then we're introduced to the man himself... Dr. Daniel Chalice. 
and he's going to see... Is that his name? Because I just have him down as Tom Atkins. Yeah, Dan, we get, get introduced to Dan. I, I started with ladies' man Tom Atkins, but it was uh, <sighs> too much hard work. My, my wrist was starting to work. <laughs> um, so Dan's going to see his two kids and his ex-wife, Linda. Oh, she's fucking horrible, isn't she, Linda? <laughs> Right, moody cow. She is, she is, but he's an alcoholic. But he's an alcoholic. He's a he's a deadbeat alcoholic. He's a doctor, and as we know, he's a slag. Um, so he's brought his kids some shit Halloween masks. He really from Poundland. He's a fucking awful. (laughs) Yeah, they they are really cheap. They're really bad. And they're like, uh, no, Dad, fuck off. We've got silver shamrock masks from Mum. And uh, they turn on the TV, and what's on the TV? It's number two Silver Shamrock TV ad. <laughs> and Again. He gets a, a page, a pager on his page. Oh, what the fuck are they? Are they pagers? Yeah. The B- okay, cool. Uh, he gets one of those through about going to work. And uh, Linda says, drinking and doctoring. What a great combination. He's like, yeah, whatever, bye. And then he leaves. Really have to stre- it's not really a stretch from the first film, is it, for Nancy Keys? No. <laughs> <laughs> she just can't get the right man in her life, can she? Oh, she can't. Oh, Paul. <laughs> Ruff, uh, so back in the hospital, Rough John's watching the Silver Shamrock commercial. Yeah, third um, time. Yeah, and uh, he's telling everyone that they're going to get killed by Silver Shamrock. Uh, so they inject him with something, put him to sleep. Uh, Dan is chatting up another colleague, of course. Yeah, nurse. Yeah, he slaps her ass and she slaps his ass. Nice to see a little bit of equality in this film. Yeah, another member of Sparks comes into the hospital, puts some black gloves on, and he, in a really brutal death scene, um, which I didn't, I, I always forget what happens here until it's explained later on, he shoves his fingers in Rough John's eyes. Uh, and it looks like he's breaking his nose, but he actually cracks his skull. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, I thought he was going to pluck his eyes out. Yeah, that's like, what I thought. What's going on here? Yeah. And he just, like, shoves them all the Really, yeah. Uh, really inventive. <laughs> well, yeah, scene. you don't see that, really. Um, so, Rough John's <laughs> dead. You don't see that every day. No. Uh, the nurse catches, uh, catches Sparks' guy in, in the act, and uh, she screams... Sparks guy leaves the hospital and Dan chases after him. And uh, Sparks guy covers himself in petrol in his car, lights a match, and we get a fucking explosion. We do. This is, this is a lot of action for the start of the film. <laughs> More action than the entire Halloween 5. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so... I'm dreading having to watch that again. <laughs> after the explosion... Uh, Dan calls Linda to tell her he can't pick the kids up anymore and she is fucking fuming. She's fuming again. Absolutely fuming. All you can hear is a shouting down the phone. Well, I'll give you a little um, tidbit of uh, us watching the film. Um, when Gary was, before we watched it, Gary mentioned Nancy Keys was in it and I said, oh yeah. Um, so oh, she's only on the phone though. She is for the most part. We yeah, saw her I forgot that she's uh, I forgot that you see her at all. But you see her once, but for the rest of the film, she's just this voice on the other end of the telephone. But it's like that caricature, like yeah, she is not happy. No, 
It's Sunday the 24th of October and Rough John's daughter arrives to identify his body. And the cop explains what happened and he finishes it off by saying, drugs, probably. The old man's daughter? Yeah. You mean Pat Benatar? Pat Benatar. (laughs) (laughs) She looks like she could have been in the Go-Go's, to be fair. Yeah, she, she looked like Pat Benatar crossed with... The what's the name of the girl from Wreck It Ralph? <laughs> what? Wreck It Ralph. Is it Penelope? Or Penelope. Yeah. She looks like Penelope from Wreck It Ralph. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Google it. I can, no, I can see that. I can see that. And you'll regret that. Uh, no, I can, you just no I, I can see that. Um, but yeah, so the cop just thinks it was drugs. So drugs cause someone to crack someone's skull and set themselves on fire and make the car explode. Okay, police are obviously on top on top form. Weed. <laughs> it's Wednesday the twenty seventh, and <laughs> we're speeding on through this week. <laughs> Teddy uh, is what's her job description? Who's Teddy? Teddy is the one analysing the ashes. Oh, so I, th- I would call her a coroner. Mm. Or she's she's performing the autopsy on the... She would perform autopsies, but obviously all she's got to work with is ashes from yeah. the car burning. Uh, I, would, I would say she's a coroner, or at least an assistant to the coroner. Yeah, so she's uh, she's doing some research into uh, the ashes of uh, Sparks Guy. And... Well, she makes it a top priority after a little flirt well, with uh, old Tom. She does, she does, because he, he persuades her... And uh, and she said, she tells him she was always good at moonlighting, and uh, he's like, "Do you still have that?" Um? And she's like, "Yes, yes, I do." What do you think it is? Lacy underwear. Maybe I thought it was like an awkward rash or something. Oh, I don't know. It's where your mind. Ta- tattoo, tramp stamp. Tramp stamp. <laughs> Maybe Tom Atkins should have a Trump stamp. <laughs> uh, it's Friday the 29th now. It's Friday the 29th. We're speeding through this week, aren't we? Tom Atkins, uh, Dan, is, he's, in a, he's in a bar. And there's a cartoon on TV. He doesn't want to watch that, though. So he tells the, uh, the barman to change the channel. And we're given an advertisement. <laughs> Not for, for a specific a No, for a specific film. What film is it? It's uh, the original Halloween. Do you mean the immortal the classic? The immortal classic. So, <laughs> I don't know. I'm assuming this was written in the screenplay, written by the director and writer of the original Halloween. But, okay, so it's been, what, four years mm-hmm. since Halloween was released? And this commercial says... <laughs> Because <laughs> it's going to be playing on TV on Halloween, isn't it? The immortal classic <laughs> Halloween. I mean, I, I'm like, now we can sit here and say the immortal classic Halloween. I mean, he's not wrong in that sense, but it's a bit soon for that. It and just makes li- me laugh. A little arrogant. <laughs> I mean, John Carpenter's one of my favourite directors, you know. I, I, I'm nothing against the guy, but it just made me laugh that he had the audacity. To write in his own script, the immortal classic the about immortal his own classic. fucking film. The immortal <laughs> classic. It's like the guy from At Dawn They Sleep who wrote all the beautiful women to to sleep with him. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's the same as that. It's like, come on, 
you give yourself a bit too much credit. I mean, it is an immortal class, but John Carpenter, really? Did you have to say it in the film? But after four years, how did... How does he know it's going to be remembered that way? <laughs> well, um, it's the, the immortal classic is brought to you by... Silver Shamrock. <laughs> so, how many times is that? Oh, I've the fourth, the fourth time we see that advert. Although this one's this one's only quite brief because do you know who's not a fan of the advert? <laughs> Mister Grattkins. Yes, he uh, he gets that switched over very quickly. He does, and then Ellie arrives, um, who who is uh, Ruff John's daughter, and they have a chat. I mean Pat. Yeah, Pat Benatar arrives. And uh, she asks if her dad said anything before he died. To which Dan replies, he said, tell Ellie I love her. <laughs> and then she says, no, you're, you're a terrible liar. She's having none of that. <laughs> and then he tells the truth. He's like, yeah, he said that. We're all going to get killed. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, they go to... She's got suspicions of her own, though, isn't she? Yeah. So they go to Rough John's shop. Where Pat Benatar says she's been doing some detective work. Yeah, so he owned a toy store. And uh, Silver Shamrock Masks, one of his biggest sellers. She's been investigating his diary and his accounts. And things just aren't adding up when the Silver Shamrocks are involved. No, so uh, they, they want to go and do some further research. But this means Dan has to cancel on his kids again. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> What deadbeat dad. He has to cancel his kids again. And guess who's not happy? <laughs> <laughs> Linda is fuming once again. And he says he'll take him. He'll take him on Saturday, and they can stay over it as and everything. But yes. she, uh, she's still not particularly happy. Um, so we get the Silver Shamrock commercial again. <laughs> Two Dude, more days one, to Halloween. This is a very, a, a, it's a very American thing, a very American film thing. Where they have these television shops where the f- the front window is just like 20 televisions all yeah. on the same channel playing Silver Shamrock. I don't, I don't know if... Uh, I mean, you don't see that anymore now. But I don't remember when I was younger ever seeing a shop like that no. in the UK. Where it was just like a whole front window of televisions playing the same shit. <laughs> Dan has done his research on uh, Colonel Cockring, and uh, he... Are you going to do that throughout the whole... <laughs> they take a journey to Santa Mira, a small little town uh, where, as, as they call it, a business town, was it? A company town? Hmm. Um, everyone knows everyone. Yeah, it was... Um, I, would, uh, I, I can't think of an example, but it was something that occurred... A lot where, um, like, a whole town was created just for workers of yeah. certain factories. I think, oh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Bourneville here in the UK was the same for the workers of the Cadbury's factory. Mm. Where a whole town was built specifically for workers of a particular factory. Well, there's the so, case. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. little fun fact for you. Don't, don't, don't research it. Just take it as fact. <laughs> I might be wrong. <laughs> All the locals watch them drive in and they decide to pose as a married couple so they can rent out a, uh, a motel room. 
When the and g- no one questions the 20 year age gap. No, no. It's got to be at least 20 years between them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when they get there, they have the most Irish guy ever. Uh, <laughs> check him into the motel. Don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the most Irish guy ever. <laughs> I don't know. The accent's pretty jarring. It is pretty, yeah. I think it just stands out because it's sort of. Everyone else is very American. <laughs> Top of the morning, too, yeah. Uh, they're not the only ones staying at the motel though the Kupfer family arrived what was their surname? Kupfer Kupfer yeah I thought it was Cooper Kupfer no Kupfer and uh, the family consists of Buddy the dad Betty the mum and little Buddy the kid yeah and these are very stereotypical American kind of obnoxious yeah um, yeah, you see them in loads of films. They're, they're yeah. playing disco music as they arrive. Uh, they pull up in a trailer and uh, the bike's falling off. It nearly kills uh, Dan. <laughs> and uh, Dan's not happy with all this chaotic behaviour. And he goes into the motel and he tells Ellie this place is like a zoo. He does, actually. Oh, no, there's an angry woman. There's an angry woman as well. As well. Yeah. So that's Tom Atkins' real-life wife. What was her name? Marge. 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 So she's fuming because they've messed up her order again. Yeah, so... So she's having to stay over in that motel. So when he goes into the motel, uh, Ellie asks him where he wants to sleep, doesn't she? Because he's just maybe getting a separate room, being he's, a gentleman. Yeah. I mean, Tom Atkins may be a little slutty, mm. um, but he's always a gentleman. And so he suggests that he stay in another room, but that would be suspicious. Yeah. Or stay in the car, but it could be caught. But, you know, Ellie's a woman of her own free will, and she suggests that they share the bed. Yeah, and they have a kiss. Yeah. And then Jamie Lee Curtis announces a curfew. <laughs> Yes, the mum from Freaky Friday announces <laughs> to everyone that a curfew was in effect. Yes, Laurie Strode from Halloween announces the curfew. Oh, was that her? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, Dan <laughs> takes a walk out with his paper bag with a bottle of whiskey in it or whatever he's drinking um, yeah, after the curfew. Did. In fairness, he's, he's made out to be an alcoholic, but you only see him drink like a couple of times. Yeah. And one time's like in a bar. When he's, like, not working. It's just, like, he's just in a bar. It's fine. He's out and about, and he has a chat with a homeless guy uh, who shouts, Hey, Cochrane, fuck you. He does. <laughs> so the, the, the homeless man um, explains that he lived in the town before this whole Silver Shamrock thing, and they wouldn't give him a job, so he's sort of been left homeless and, and struggling uh, directly because of Silver Shamrock and Cochrane. Um, so he also explains that there's CCTV everywhere watching them, um, and tells Cochrane to fuck off, basically. Yeah, it tells, tells Dan about the dodgy factory, yeah. and how he plans to burn it all down. Yes, so, soon regrets that. Though, yeah, he? he goes to the junkyard, and, uh, Michael Myers star from Halloween 2, Dick Warlock, uh, is also dressed like he's in Sparks. And him and his friend, they uh, lower the homeless guy to the ground. Uh, look like they're about to face fuck him. It really does. <laughs> but from both ends, uh, however that would work. And uh, <laughs> and uh, they pull his head off. 
They do, and it's quite graphic. They're very graphic, Head yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a really, really great scene. Yeah. So it looked like they were getting head, and then they did get head. Yeah, well, yeah literally. Um, but yeah, no, it didn't leave And his any... name's Dick Warlock as well. Uh, wow. Dick, that's an interesting name. <laughs> yeah, they don't leave anything to the imagination with that scene. No, they don't, no. Nothing at all. Um... <laughs> Marge is slagging Silver Shamrock off to Ellie. <laughs> yeah, she is actually. So I have fucking company, got my order wrong again, and the chip came off her mask. Yes, so it's like a big disc at the back, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, we see, after it falls on the floor, that there's a microchip in there. Yeah, so... Whilst Dan and Ellie get it on in the other room with some nipple sucking again, isn't it? Yeah, is that she's in her black? Is she in a black lingerie? Yeah, but not for long. He uh, he, he gets he gets going and uh, starts sucking on her nipples. He does. It, it looks really awkward. It looks so so awkward. Um, but after they're finished, guess what's on the radio? Yeah, so this is the first time the Silver Shamrock advert is on the radio. Yeah, but Dan switches it straight off and Ellie wants round two. And he decides to ask her now, how old are you? How old are you? And she tells him, relax, I'm older than I look. Um... Uh, is he just going to take her word for it? Uh, well, yeah, because he's, he's straight back to that nipple sucking, he isn't he? He certainly is. He certainly is. Uh, take him on there, there to investigate what happened to her dead dad. He doesn't really give a shit. Like, he's like, okay, your dad's dead. <laughs> Fucking, let me fuck your brains out. Oh, cheer her up. <laughs> um, so, meanwhile, next door, uh, Tom Atkins' real-life wife, Marge, uh, she's messing around with the chip on the on the uh, disc thing from the mask and she gets zapped in the face she does it's uh it's a little cheap this effect but the aftermath isn't yeah the, the laser's cheap but the yeah. aftermath is really great yeah so she's messing around with this microchip she gets her hair pin out starts poking at it a bright blue beam of light goes into her mouth and uh, basically just it kind of fucks her mouth up, Yeah, it, it just tears her mouth up. Yeah, just... And again, like the, the, the decapitation scene, the, there's nothing left to the imagination. You see everything. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you see there's bugs crawling out of her mouth. Yes, yeah. Uh, really graphic again. And again, it looks great. It looks so good. Um, Dan hears this noise, but um, he, he's, not, he's not too fussed about it. But when he hears people pull up outside, he decides to get up, get his ass out, and... Uh, Put some trousers on without any underwear. He does. Yeah, he does actually. He goes commando for the rest of the film. <laughs> oh, yeah, shit. He doesn't change again after this. No, because he didn't take a change of clothes with them. <laughs> so he goes commando for the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah. Well, fair play to him to do all these action scenes with no underwear on. It's weird. I, just, I didn't think the film needed Tom Atkins' ass, but, you know, there it was. <laughs> um, Marge... So, as a ladies' man, does he get his ass out in any other films? I don't know. Does he get it out in the fog? Maybe. Can't remember. Ooh. No, I don't. I think we'd remember if he got his ass out in the fog. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's a scene, Maybe there's a film where he does like full frontal. Who knows? 
I don't really want to see that. Marge gets taken no away. No offence, Tom. Marge gets taken away by uh, factory workers from Silver Shamrock. And Cochrane arrives and informs Dan and Ellie that uh, she's been taken to the factory to be uh, repaired. <laughs> so this is the first time we see Cochrane. Yeah. And uh, remind me, he's played by the guy who played Dick Jones in Robocop, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He's... Dick, that's an interesting thing. <laughs> he's uh, very... He comes across as a very stereotypical, like, James Bond-esque villain. Um, yeah. Until you find out his plan, and then you realise he's a lot more than that. Um, so it's Saturday the 30th of October now, and Teddy found nothing but teeth and car parts in, uh, in the ashes of uh, Sparks Go. Yeah, so she thinks that someone's fucked up, um, what, they've, they've given her the wrong ashes, Yeah. not she? Is her name, what was her name? Teddy. Teddy. Oh. Um, uh, but, she, you know, because she's Teddy, and because Dan's Dan... He asks her to do some research on uh, Cochrane, and uh, to convince her to do this, he's going to take her for dinner. He's always ready for dinner with her. So um, poor Teddy. <laughs> yeah. So straight away, Dan's back with Ellie, and they uh, yeah they go to the factory, and the couple of family are there, and they all go on a tour, don't they? Yes. So the, the remind me, I keep Kufa. Kufa. The Kufa family, uh, he owns a toy store and he sold the biggest amount of silver shamrock masks in the country. So that's why he's allowed to go on a tour around the factory. Yeah, and because Dan and Ellie happen to be there, yeah. uh, they, they get invited along as well. Uh, Buddy tells Dan that Cochrane is the king of practical jokes and he invented sticky toilet paper. He did. Yeah. Apparently. I've never heard of that. Uh, Cochrane won't tell Buddy about what the final process is with, uh, with making the masks. Uh, but Dan notices that the Sparks guys are currently surrounding the factory. Yeah, so he thinks they all look very similar to the guy he knows killed Ellie's father. So he wants to leave with Ellie. Yeah, but she spots her dad's car. How are they? Yeah, she, she spotted Dad's car and Sparks won't let her go and have a look at it, will they? No. No, Sparks. Um, Dan tries to call the cops and uh, we get another Silver Shamrock commercial and Ellie is now missing and uh, Sparks chased Dan away. Yeah, so the, what TV ad was that? Six. I got that down as number six. Maybe. I lost count. I, I lost count after a while. I got number six for that one. Uh, Dan watches them take Ellie to the factory and he sneaks in to investigate. He uh, asks an old lady who is just minding her own business doing some knitting where Ellie is. And because she doesn't respond, he shakes her and her head falls off. <laughs> and this is where we get the big reveal that they're all robots. Yes. The kind of big reveal that we kind of already guessed. Well, I mean, imagine watching this in 1982. Would you think, oh, they're going to be robots? Yes. <laughs> the whole ashes thing. It's got to have been. So, 
one of one of the other robots comes out and they have a scrap with Dan and he punches through his stomach and there's yellow blood coming out and uh, Dan is captured and now it's finally Sunday the 31st of October what what day is that? Halloween <gasps> oh, finally <Yes>. there <laughs> Cochrane uh, does the classic villain thing and shows Dan around his evil lab um, this is very... This is a great scene because the Stonehenge stone's there and, you know, with a big elaborate plot like this, you, you'd think there'd be a lot of elaborate backstory to explain. Well, no, because Cochrane says, a magician never explains his tricks. And then... When <laughs> that it comes, does make it a lot easier. <laughs> and then when it comes to the fact of the rock from Stonehenge, you know, you might be questioned, oh, how did he get that to that place? Like... That must be a big task. Well, in uh, Cochrane's words, you'll never believe how they got it there. And because they the never tell you. And that's the end of that. <laughs> I mean, I love the lazy writing there. That's the... We won't, we won't explain because you'll never believe it. Cool. Okay. <laughs> nice. Cochrane shows Dan that Ellie is strapped to a table. Marge is dead under a sheet. And there's a living room set up, ready for the Cooper family. And uh, he, Cochran wants to show them a commercial, so he invites them in, and he makes Dan watch. Uh, and this is a, a scene that everyone knows from this film. Yeah, this is the standout scene. Yeah, this, really. is, this is where it demonstrates just how dark the plot really is. Um, so, little buddy... Uh, it turns on the commercial and it tells him to put his mask on and he puts it on he starts grabbing at his head and then we see that his uh, head has exploded uh, within the mask and there's bugs and snakes crawling out of it yeah and this is one of those scenes where they kill a kid and it doesn't happen often in horror films or films in general where the whole plot isn't about killing the kid you know like my girl like Uh when the kid dies you know that's what the film's about um it it kind of i don't know it kind of hits a different way when it's a child yeah you know it's it makes it a little scarier yeah yeah, and, and that's the thing. And like I said, you know, this is a very camp, very fun film. But then this happens, and then it just completely takes it to another level. Mm. And John Carpenter's not afraid of doing that. No. Um, the famous scene in the Assault on Precinct 13 yeah. is a child being killed. Yeah. Um, you don't see it. It's, it's quite taboo, really. Um, but that I've always said, that I've always found, uh, in terms of the, the modern It films... I always found the first film was much scarier because it was children in danger. Mm. Do you agree? Yeah, no, I do agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, I just think it sort of it gives a different edge to it. Yeah, um, and as long as it's not exploitative, it can really work. Yeah, it's just the scene where they make you realise that that is the entire plan. Yeah, is to kill yeah. millions of kids. Yeah, as many kids as possible. Um, which is, yeah, it just has a whole other dark level to it. And uh, Betty, the mum of the family, faints, and Buddy gets bitten by a snake and dies. 
those two, you know, that's kind of a throwaway section of that scene. It doesn't really, you know, the, the scene's already been stolen by yeah, the kid dying, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, they, they die, and uh, we get a silver shamrock montage uh, in a scene that really shows up the cinematography in this film. Um, we get all different parts of America, and we see the, the kids from the artwork of the film, we see them going up a hill on the way home to watch the Silver Shamrock commercial. It's just a really, really good scene. Um, yeah. So this is where we see, um, we get a voiceover that says, kids, watch the giveaway and wear your masks at nine. Nine o'clock. After Halloween. Halloween's on very early. <laughs> it's on very early. Very early. They say it's um, um, like a, a movie fun. Or a horror fun. A horror fun. Um, and then that at nine o'clock. I mean, you wouldn't have Halloween on before nine o'clock in the no. UK. <laughs> Absolutely not. Particularly in 1982. You wouldn't even have it on at all. Because Halloween, you know, the UK don't believe in showing Halloween films on on Halloween do they? They used to. I swear. It used to be a lot better. I swear it happened once where Halloween was on BBC One late at night mm. on Halloween. Um, film 4 used to do... Uh, it's the first time I saw Argento's opera. It's because they did it as a, a Halloween thing. I watched The Howling for the first time on Halloween. watched The Fog for the first time on Halloween. It used to, it used to be great. But then... They don't do anything now. No. On, t- on, on British TV. Um, I mean, the Horror Channel's horror. 24-7. Yeah. 365 days a year yeah. anyway, so... <laughs> um, but yeah, so... We get this montage, and uh, and after this, Teddy tries calling Dan, uh, because something's not right in the ashes. She, she's realised it's not car parts. And uh, before she could tell Dan, a Sparks member draws her in the head. Yeah, pretty much. She tries to get through to the sheriff after she can't get through to Dan. And, uh, yeah, we don't see her get drilled in the head, though. This is one of those yeah, that this happens is, off screen. Yeah. You just kind of see her legs um, flailing around. Her. Yeah. Bless uh, her. Poor Teddy. You know, <laughs> she gets the short straw in this film. Mm-hmm. Number one, she you don't actually see her move from that chair. <laughs> um, she's in the same position throughout the whole film. She's promised dinner. Yeah. She gets dinner. Yeah, she's flirting with um, old Tom Atkins. And he's off, you know, shagging someone... 10 years her junior. Yeah. Poor Teddy. And then she gets a drill for the head. Yeah. Cochrane ties Dan... All because of bloody Tom Atkins. Yeah, yeah. The worst thing to happen to her <laughs> was him. Well, Cochrane ties him to a chair and uh, gives him a monologue about Halloween and sacrifices and the only time you hear witch being mentioned in the film because we talk about witchcraft... Um, and he goes, he goes on for a while. You, you don't know what he's fucking talking about. Yeah, he's just trying to make a, a mass sacrifice. Yeah. Like Halloween back in the day when he remembers Halloween. Halloween's become too commercial now. Um, it's kind of, this is definitely the James Bond moment. Yeah. Where you kind of think, well, you could have just shot him on the spot. <laughs> 
And why are you going through all of this? Why are you tying him to the chair and making him watch stuff? It's like... Because he's going to do the same to him as he's doing to all the kids. Yeah, but you, could, you know, these um, Sparks members, you know, they've killed people in quite elaborate ways, mm-hmm. um, but quite quickly and yeah. efficiently. Why is it Tom Atkins that has to have the big elaborate death scene? <laughs> Oh, yeah, so he can escape. And yes, of course. <laughs> he puts the mask on down and he turns on Halloween, forces him to watch Halloween. You see Laurie Strode making her way over to... Uh, whose house is it she goes to? The house over the road. Oh, the house over the road. I mean, she's, this, isn't, this is where she's just sort of having a gentle walk after the kids walk. gone to bed. It's... Um, if I remember correctly, I, I think people figured that the, the film was out of sync with the time yeah, it said it, is, it was. It if it was to finish before nine, then it, it should have been a little later on in the film than then it, when it was. Yeah. Um, but you, but then, you know, it's an immortal classic. It, it is. You should want to For an immortal classic, if, if it's going to run over the nine o'clock deadline, then just let it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dan has had enough of watching Halloween, so he puts his foot through the TV screen. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. Do you know who's not a fan of Laurie Strode? <laughs> Tom Atkins. <laughs> Could have waited till the end of the film to do that. He, uh, he cuts himself loose, and then we get the famous scene of him throwing the mask onto the security camera. Like a real pro. Like a real, like a real superhero. Forty takes later. That's your, that's your Chuck Norris scene, isn't it? He leaves through the vent like his Bruce Willis, and uh, he calls Linda and warns her about what's happening, but she doesn't care because he hasn't picked the kids up again. She just doesn't believe him. No. No. What? What? She? She thinks he's jealous. And because, drunk. Because yeah, and drunk because he bought those god awful. <laughs> cheapo masks and she bought some really nice silver shamrock ones yeah so she hangs up he's a doctor he must have been making good money oh yeah what the fuck is he buying those masks for (laughs) spends it all on booze but then she can afford silver shamrock ones (laughs) so dan rescues ellie and uh presses a few buttons in the evil lab uh which puts the commercial and distracts everyone and then he empties a box of the laser chips onto the evil lab and the employees and kills everyone. That's quite a clever way to do it. To yeah. Um, the Stonehenge Rock then creates a laser circle in, in a really bizarre sequence of events. It, it creates a laser circle. Um, it zaps Cochrane. Um, somehow like, makes him go really white. Um, I don't know if he's going to be turned to stone. Uh, but then the factory explodes in a very cheap way. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is quite a cheap effect. It just, it just kind of looks like the sun's rising. Yeah. In the distance. Um, Ellie's now a robot. So when she was kidnapped, <laughs> she turned to a robot. Uh, they have a scrap. Her and Danny crash the car into the tree. Well, yeah. So the the big reveal is that she's quite quiet. She doesn't actually have any dialogue after she's. Uh, rescued yes. and he's like why are you so quiet and then she just grabs his neck and then yeah. they crash into a tree um they have a scrap outside of the car and he knocks her arm off and then her head 
Um, well, no, her arm. So after they've had the crash, the arm's stuck to the door, the passenger's oh, so door. Off yeah. So when he when he gets out, the arm's just sort of there, attached to it, and then he knocks the block off, um, and then. Is it the the dismembered arm? The dismembered arm tries to strangle him, and then you think it's safe, and then the rest of her body, (laughs) so just the legs, torso, and one arm, then tries to kill him again. But it falls over. (laughs) It falls over. Um, So Dan runs to the gas station, and he's now our final girl. It's not something you see often in horror, but... uh... This, see, the thing is, you wouldn't have a final girl in this one because it's not a slasher film. No. So he's our, it's more, he's more of our action hero. Yeah. Really. He, as Tom Atkins is. He runs to the gas station, uh, the, the commercial's playing on TV, so he calls the TV broadcasters and tells them to take it off the air. Which they do, they take, you know, two channels. Which is absolutely crazy, isn't it? Yeah. If we rang up the BBC and said, turn the news off, what would they do? <laughs> Just keep it going. They tell you to piss off. But yeah. it gets to the third channel and it's still on and it's not leaving. So... <laughs> this is the second most He's... famous scene. <laughs> he says what everybody else is thinking after hearing this song 14 times. <laughs> And he's like, stop it! Stop it! <laughs> and we end on that. Oh yeah, we end on that. <laughs> and we don't know what happens next. Well, millions of kids die. Well, yeah, I mean... Well, it depends what channel they're watching. <laughs> yeah, true. It, it also depends on if they're wearing their masks or not. It's true. And, uh, like, what did Cochrane think was going to be the outcome of all of this? Just kids die. Yeah, but how many? Millions. Would you not think they'd investigate this? <laughs> what would he do after all this? Don't know. Do a runner? I suppose... Well, I suppose if he did the sacrifice, then Stonehenge would be pleased, or... I don't know. How would they get Stonehenge back to Stonehenge? Well, you'll never believe how they do it. <laughs> But I, I genuinely think that is such a perfect Halloween film to watch at Halloween. Uh, like, it's, it's, it's just that film, isn't it? You know, this time of year, like Trick or Treat or Halloween, it, you, it's, it's an essential this time of year. Yeah, it's the kind of film you watch on the build-up to Halloween. Yeah. It's not Halloween night kind of film. No, it's got me proper in the mood for, for October. I, my problem, and I don't hate the film, but my problem with the film is that it's far too long. It's only an <laughs> hour and a half. No, it's an hour and uh, 38 minutes. An hour and 38 minutes. Well, it could have been done with just being an hour. If this was an episode of an anthology TV series, and they cut it down a lot it would have flowed a bit better and I think it would have been a real success and people would be talking about it you know like they talk about the greatest episodes of Twilight Zone Mm. and and such I just feel like it was too long 
a lot of it could have been cut out and made it a quicker pace, you know? Mm-hmm. And kept all the gore and the kills and, and all that in it. And, you know, the whole Stonehenge thing. It would just have been a real fun episode of Tales from the Crypt. Goosebumps. <laughs> Not goosebumps. <laughs> Um, but it would have been a really great episode of that. Um, so there are parts of it that I really enjoy, and it is a fun film to watch. And um, I also think if I'd cut it down, you wouldn't have heard that fucking jingle 14 times. <laughs> it, it's, it, they overdo it, they really overdo it, and it, it, get, it really is so annoying. It, it genuinely is. By the end of it, you're, you're like, um, ready to kick the TV like Tom Atkins does when he watches the, the immortal classic. Um, but it's not a bad, bad film. It's certainly no part five. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Not not many films are as bad as that. I would re- I would recommend watching. Oh it. yeah, definitely. Um, I would recommend watching it, and you know you don't have to have had seen the first two no (laughs) it's not often you can say that yeah so that's Halloween 3 season of The Witch um so uh, talking about our October scheduling I think we're still yet to decide uh our first two Tuesday episodes but uh, I can confirm we'll be back on Friday with our top 10 favourite zombie films Yes. Uh, to kick off October. And uh, like I said, next two Tuesdays is to be decided by Chris over here. Oh, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> after that, we will be, of course, uh, the next two Fridays after this Friday, we'll be bringing you our BFI London Film Festival coverage. Yes. Very excited. After yeah, I'm 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 really excited to get it underway. It begins on Friday, uh, and we will be bringing you the Tuesday after that. We bring you an episode on The Shining, and after that we'll bring you an episode on Candyman, and another top ten on horror films by non horror directors, and finally on Halloween for. Your bonus Halloween episode, we'll be giving you our top 20 scariest movie moments. Ooh. <laughs> so yeah, so lots of look forward That's to in October. Yeah, yeah, I hope you're uh, ready. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be less of an echo by then. But uh, until then... It might work, actually. Oh, well, I mean, we'll, we'll soon find out. sound effects could work. <laughs> so... Yeah, tell us what you're watching for October, and uh, we'll read it out on the episodes. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe, like, or follow, and everything else. Follow us on Spotify. I'm dead at Gas92 on Letterboxd, Gasmo205 on Instagram, and GasCruise92 on Twitter. I am Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter. And we will see you on Friday. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah.